Welcome to the Man Up God's Way podcast, a show that dives into the real, raw, and relevant issues for men in their faith, life, and community. Now, your host, Jody Birkin. All right, guys, here we are again on another Monday night. My name is Jody Burkeen. I am the host of the Man Up God's Way podcast and the founder as well. And we want to welcome you. If you get an opportunity, if you would, just share uh, this podcast with everybody on your friends uh, list, if you would. It would be uh, awesome for us to reach more and more people uh, for the sake of the gospel and for great conversation as we have every week uh, on this podcast. Uh, we've been doing this now for almost uh, going on uh, our 11th month and our 41st uh, podcast, and we're really excited tonight. Got a great guest who we'll introduce here in just a second. Um, but if you get an opportunity, again, please share this uh, with all your social media friends and uh, as much as possible. It helps us out. Uh, and uh, I've got Fergoza today in the studios. How you doing, brother? What's up, man? You staying out of trouble? Always. Good. How was your week? end i should say we give uh, it's weekend man the weekend is short because I, <laughs> I work on sundays so uh i get done with uh church probably around a, one o'clock and my weekend is a few hours before monday hits and here i am oh. yeah so i hit it running and might need to do a better job of getting a sabbath i think we talked about that a few months yeah. ago but i'm failing miserably so i started up mondays on uh again back i i had been doing mondays as my sabbath for a long time and mm -hmm. i finally uh got back into it because i was building that house uh for a customer so i do that on the side and do some construction on the side and i was doing that for almost a year and i just mm -hmm. couldn't get that monday squared away and so finally i got my mondays back so that's awesome i'm glad that glad to have that so what tell uh tell us a little bit about uh some things that are going on here at man up god so Day. as always you know um we just kind of just plug the books every week we got man up uh, becoming a godly man in an ungodly world. This was numero uno. Mm -hmm. And then your second book, Pursuit of a Godly Life, Living Like Jesus Matters. There we Boom. go. Nailed it. Uh, we always have Man Up gear. You know, you can go on the Man Up website. You can get merch. I'm clearly not wearing any merch today. <laughs> I'm wearing, I'm wearing, I have a day job. <laughs> They're not paying for this. Dude. Yeah. Hold on. Let there me cover up the, the sponsorship. <laughs> You're going to have to pay some dollar bills for this. Uh, yeah, I got a day job, but uh, I need to give me some Man Up merch so I can uh, make a wardrobe change right. in between uh, my chaotic Mondays. But go on there, um, manupgodsway.com. Um, and you can grab coffee mugs. You can grab our coffee, our literal coffee. We got some beans you can mm -hmm. uh, chop up, roast, and, uh, you know, drink. Um, that's what we got. We got baseball caps. We got yeah. a, we have an app. Check the app uh, out. Check the app out. That's actually how we fund some of this. So the app yes. does have a cost to it. Um, it's a space outside of social media that we can post, not be regulated, not be, you know, shadow banned. I know we were talking uh, before the show started on yeah. our viewership. We're just under a hundred thousand downloads mm -hmm. uh, for man up. We're coming up on the end of 2023. We should reach that yeah. hundred thousand downloads before the end of the year, pretty easily. And we should be at a hundred thousand a week with 800,000 followers on Facebook, but we, we were when we know, started. Yeah. They're, they're shadow banning us big time nowadays. So we were slamming. We were cooking pretty hot the first, I would say, the first three months. Yeah. And then we drastically dropped 
uh, they were on to us. Yeah, and they, so, uh, but it's a slow, steady climb and, uh, all good things. We're not complaining. We're excited about where we're at. And, yep. uh, 2023 is coming in hot. We actually were talking, um, about booking for 2023. So, uh, I made a video before we started that I'll post on my social here coming up. Uh, but we are booked through mid January right now. Uh, and we are starting to reach out to, uh, people and looking for some guests for 2023. So if you're out there and you have a book, you have a cause, you have a ministry, um, and you would like to, uh, reach out to us, please do so. And we'll try to get connected and we'll see if you're a good fit for the show. And yeah. Awesome. I appreciate it, brother. Thank you so much. Well, folks, I'm, uh, like I said, I'm excited and, uh, about our new, our guest tonight and, uh, uh, he's a, a pastor, uh, pastor Brad, and you're going to have to help me pronounce your last name. Is it Hoffs? Uh, you're close. Oh. It's Hafes. Hafes. Okay. My bad and, brother. And O E like in Schrader. Okay. We were using Siri. We had Siri read it to us out loud. And that's what she gave us. So we can, we can lay it on her. All right. All right. Well, Pastor Brad, uh, I, I'm excited. Like I said earlier, to have you on here. I've been talking for um, the past couple of years about a lot of problems. You know, we had the COVID shutdown. Um, we had uh the, the 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 pandemic or the scaredemic or the plandemic or whatever you want to call it we had um mass chaos mass fear we've had um financial issues crisis and i've been saying for if not years at least a, a year or so i don't think we've seen the major problems from the pandemic yet and what i mean by that is i think mentally emotionally that we're seeing people that are just completely burnout, uh, worn out, hopeless. I, I've never seen in my life a society that is so hopeless. Um, and um, we've got a, a generation of uh, what I would call kids. I mean, they might be young adults, but um, that are coming up that are just, I mean, almost crazy. And um uh, I'm glad to have you on here tonight is my point, because I know that um, with your ministry called Fresh Hope, that um, you are trying your best to help deal with this and uh, trying to bring people together to understand um, what's going on emotionally and spiritually and physically and mentally. And, um, and you're doing it all through a biblical mindset. So why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Uh, first of all, let's start off, start off with yourself. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, sure. Um, first of all, I'm glad to be here and, um, I've never thought of myself manning up. So maybe tonight I'll man up. Um, <laughs> my wife will say, suck it up, buttercup. Like it, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, um, well, I've been married 43 years, been a pastor for 38 years. I almost said 38,000 years. Um, <laughs> and, like. um, it's like, uh, it, to God, a day is a thousand days. Or, yeah, know. exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, but, um, and I, we have two grown children, four grandchildren and, um, you know, I do all kinds of stuff. I've been a pastor my whole adult life, basically. 
And, um, but um, in 1995, I was pastoring the fastest growing or the 13th fastest growing Protestant church in North America. And um, it was a, believe it or not, a Lutheran church, Missouri Synod church. And um, I was traveling all over the world, uh, speaking and talking about uh, church growth, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And most people looked at me and thought, oh, man, he's really, uh, you know, um, how should I put it, an expert on this subject or whatever. And um, I was pretty full of myself. I really was. And um, besides just being an arrogant guy, a young man that had become the pastor of this church that had gone from about 600 to 3,000 under my leadership in a short amount of time. And but little did I know, most people would have said, oh, he's very creative and he's kind of temperamental to work with. But, you know, and then we were trying to relocate the church and we were trying to build a, or move to a former manufacturing plant. And um, it was, you know, huge. And they didn't, the city of Omaha didn't want to take it off its uh, tax rolls, really. Right, yeah, exactly. And um, the, the reality was that uh, we got pushback major big time. And we were in the news a lot. And what was happening to me was behind the scenes, I was not well. I, I didn't, I just was angry, agitated, irritated most of the time. And I especially took it out on my wife and my kids and, you know, tried my best to not let it show in the workplace. But I would end up having to drive around and be alone a lot. And the, the worse it got, the more I felt like I was dealing with this monster inside of myself. And it felt like the monster at times was controlling me instead of me controlling the monster. And that the monster just wanted me to, he just wanted to push out, you mm -hmm. know, push out of me. And um, I pleaded with the Lord many times over and said, you know, help me, help me, help me. I don't know what's wrong. Um, I was doing all, and the worse it got, the crazier things got for me with what I was doing behind the scenes. And it was like to manage this monster, I had to let him have some control of my behavior, but not let him have complete control, right. if you will. And uh, so I was driving late at night um, on dirt roads, hilly, hilly, very hilly dirt roads. Um, believe it or not, Nebraska does have some hills. Most people think it's Interstate 80, you know, and I understand, but we do have hills and um, gravel roads. I would turn out my car lights at, you know, 10 o'clock at night, nine o'clock at night, uh, 11, 12, one in the morning. And I would drive as fast as I could without my car lights on. And I would open the car door, stick my foot out the door. There were just, if there was a murder in the city and it was on the talk radio, I went to where it was. I mean, wow. just you name it. I was doing all kinds of risky stuff. Um, but I had certain boundaries, like for instance, places that I shouldn't be as a pastor. 
right? Mm. The adult bookstore. Well, I didn't go in, but I drove around it. Um, you know, it just, it was just like crazy, ridiculous stuff. And, but I always felt like, oh, I could jump off a bridge and there wouldn't be a problem. I'd survive. I'm, I'm, you know, I just felt like I had this um, euphoric kind of belief about a lot of stuff. And I just felt higher than a kite mm. and I wasn't drinking and I wasn't taking any drugs, but I felt high. Right. And um, sometimes too high. And so a lot of times I would shame myself after I did all these behaviors and kind of say this, you know, so to speak, you should not be doing this sort of thing. You need to be home in bed. You have responsibilities, right. et cetera. And then I would be able to calm myself down, go home, sleep a couple of hours, be back up in a couple of hours and face another day of ministry and I usually was at the office by 4.30 or 5 in the morning. Now, um, little did I know that the monster that I had had a name. And um, little did I know it was the same monster my father had lived with in his life. And um, my only other sibling has lived with all of her life. And, um, you know... I just pleaded with God. Well, I went to Africa and this was about the third time I went or the second time and um, got down to Nigeria and I was still just out of sorts, just going a thousand miles an hour, uh, not sleeping even when I was there. And um, my wife and I, we say we had a $120 argument on the phone and we had an argument. And it cost me $120 in a phone bill. <laughs> Just in the phone bill. That's old school phone bill right there. Well, yeah, this was back in 95 when, um, you know, I, the, the, they, I had to pay for it in Africa, you know, so, right. but it was 150 or $120 American dollars. So multiply that times 18 and whatever that was in Naira. And that's how much it was. I mean, and my host down there was like, oh, you are missing your wife. And I was like, no, we argued. <laughs> but um, and I'm missing I, her, but my aim's getting better. <laughs> <laughs> um, when, when, um, when it was all, when I got home, I, I didn't even have patience one day. My shirt was needing to be unbuttoned before I could take it off. And it, I couldn't get it unbuttoned. I just pulled it off. All the buttons went flying across the room. I didn't care. And little did I know that um, the Lord was going to answer my pleas and my prayers. And um, I stopped at a place on my way out to drive to these country roads or to take a drive on these country roads it was just a small little outhouse um, by a lake that was on the way out there. wasn't too far from where I was going, and I had to, to pee, and I um, stopped. And that's what I remember. That was my purpose. I knew it wasn't safe out there because it was completely dark. It was 920 at night. There were people there. And when I got to the outhouse door, there was somebody standing in the doorway. So I stepped to the side of the building over to the side 
and I don't recall turning any other direction but facing the outhouse. And the next thing I knew after I'd gone, you know, to the bathroom against the side of the building, I went to get in my car and uh, all of a sudden there was this guy behind me and he said, um, I'm an Omaha undercover police officer, you're under arrest. Wow. And I, I, I was shocked. I mean, I, I, and he said I was doing something for 20 seconds other than peeing. And um, long story short, uh, one could get real hung up on that. Uh, today, I look at it and I say, it's kind of like um, this, he fined me a $50, uh, you know, a misdemeanor ticket. I He didn't cuff me or anything like that. Um, but he said it was lewd conduct. And um, to, for the life of me, still mm. to this day, I, I honestly do not believe that's not something that would be right. in my real house of go-to for sinning. Right. Um, exactly. <laughs> I've got right. plenty of sins that I would go to, but that's <laughs> right. not one of them. Right. Maybe it was the old um, adage, if you shake it more than twice, you're playing with it. Like, yes, yeah. He heard a couple too many. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and, you know, like my therapist said, did he see what he believed or did he believe what he saw? Mm. And, you know, when you're there looking for that sort of thing, but it doesn't matter anymore right. today. It does not matter. Um, I paid the price more than that. Um normally uh, for an average Joe, it would be a $50 right. fine. It wouldn't have been in the newspaper. It would have been hush hush. That right. night I went Master. home and I went from a very manic to a very uh, high mania right. to suicidal mm. within hours. And um, we called uh, one of the elders and one of the pastors on the staff. And I told them what had happened and, uh, the elder said, let's just have you meet with an attorney, take care of this, and then you can get some help, see what was going on, and blah, blah, blah. Lo and behold, uh, somebody in the police department told the uh, newspaper oh, yeah. uh, people, mm -hmm. and about two, three weeks later, it was all over the news, and it was a big story in the denomination, uh, a big story. Um, you know, here locally. And, you know, um, for me, it's hard because I was having a very manic episode of life at that point. And um, so I wasn't sure what was wrong. I knew there was something wrong with me. I, I felt guilty. I felt horrible. I um, was put on a leave of absence right away. And, um, what happened was today when I play it back, it's like watching a, a, a videotape in one of those old, old, when they first had videotapes, probably when I was in junior high <laughs> and uh, they didn't have lights and you right. were playing it back and it was just nighttime and you could only see very little movement. Well, anyway, um, it, uh, that, that really was God's intervention in my life. What, whatever happened, however it happened, 
And however it all came together, that's where he intervened in a major way for me. And um, I would never want to go through any of it again. Right. But, um, and that's almost 30 years ago now. But it was an incredibly painful thing to go through. Mm-hmm. Um, it took especially, the, especially as a pastor, you know, well, I mean, you, you well, don't, and it was so shameful. As yeah, a you pastor. Don't, yeah. You don't get any grace. Um, you're expected no. to give grace, but boy, you don't get any grace. And again, uh, as a pastor and as an elder, I understand the, the consequences for that. There is the, you know, the, the one thing that I always try to set above everything else, as far as when Titus, uh, Paul's talking to Titus and Timothy is the eldership is that a, you know, be above reproach. And, you know, even, even in that being above reproach as an elder is, you know, pulling off the side of the road to go take a leak next to an outhouse instead of in the outhouse, you know, kind of deal. So, yep. Yep. In, you know, as guys, we wouldn't think twice about it because, you know, we kind of grow up, you know, <laughs> well, I grew up at a farm, you know, right. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, back and <laughs> the, the truth is that, <clears throat> You know, Paul gives that to Timothy as far as um, when you're making someone a pastor or an elder. Right. But there's also that passage about restoring someone, um, you know, and I had a fine uh, uh, when I became a pastor, I didn't have any of these, you know, it was it was not like. I was just about to become a pastor and this happened. <laughs> right. Yeah, you're right. Exactly. <laughs> you know, right. okay. So I had proven myself to be a good pastor. And in fact, right. then for the next nine months, this was constantly in the newspaper that the um, denomination was doing a, um, I forget what they called it, but it meant that there was uh, a process they were going through. So anybody could call them right. and say anything. And nobody did except for one person, and it was some obscure something or another. It was no, I mean, people could have called them just to be mean. Right. And it, it, it didn't happen. Well, anyway, um, I just, what happened was everybody was there for the church. You know, the leaders yeah. were all worried about the church. And my wife and my family nearly bled to death for the better oh, part of three months. Imagine no help nobody called um it was extremely painful and um what happened then was uh uh, as they went through all of that um i finally got up to a hospital in pine rest um in michigan and um was diagnosed as having bipolar disorder and what happened or what this officer said I did was something that would be pretty typical behavior for somebody who's very manic or could be behavior for somebody that is but still I it doesn't matter I say um but the bottom line was is that monster had a name and it was bipolar disorder so um and what year what year was this 1995 okay and um so what happened then was the uh, uh 
after coming home from the hospital, um, I was forced to resign. And um, the, the elders were telling the people one thing publicly and myself privately. There's since been reconciliation between all of us and the church right. and all of that. But um, the thing is, is that nobody knew what to do with mental illness back then. Right. Nobody yeah. knew, you know, so right away I was disqualified from ministry because I had a mental illness. In well, that has people. to be incredibly, that has to be incredibly terrifying just to, because they know, they knew so little about it back then. Yep. And even now, if you got diagnosed with, you know, bipolar or, or, you know, there's, there's still some, I have some friends who, you know, live very normal lives and they tell me, oh yeah, I'm bipolar. And I just take this mm -hmm. medicine and I'm not crazy, but if I'm, you know, if I'm not on this, just yep, check your six. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just because I have a diagnosis does not mean I'm mentally ill at the time. The right. diagnosis, the, the mental illness shows up when you don't care for yourself and do what you need to. Mm -hmm. And and just in case somebody's listening to this tonight and you're thinking, oh my gosh, I, I'm concerned that I have this or I have a diagnosis, I have depression or I have um, bipolar or whatever. I tell people it is quite possible to live extremely well in spite of having, for instance, bipolar disorder. The better part of the last 20 some years, I've lived with no episodes, no problems, no hospitalizations, wow. no nothing. Awesome. And so, and so, so that is possible, but you have to know how to take care of yourself and what to do. Right. I explain to us what um, bipolar is exactly. Well, uh, you know, bipolar disorder um, means that you kind of, you are between two poles, if you will, okay. to, um, and you're either too high or too low. Okay. And um, I have bipolar type one, which I have more um, of the hypomania and mania. Okay. And so when I get excited or happy and in a good mood or whatever, or I don't get enough sleep, or I, you know, am really juiced up about stuff that's happening in life uh, or stressed, my brain will not, it'll make too much of one thing and not enough of another or whatever. Right. And it will kick me into not being able to manage that myself. I liken it to this. If, if you were asleep, you know, Jody, assuming that you don't have any mental illness, and I came in in the middle of the night and shot you up with some methamphetamines right? or methamphetamine. You ain't going to act right, like exactly. the next day. Right. You are just not going to act like him. Right. You're going to say some crazy stuff. Mm -hmm. You're going to be all wackadoo. <laughs> right. And people are going to think what, you know, straighten up now. Christians are notorious at thinking we all have that much control over our behavior all the time. And if your brain is not functioning correctly, it's not possible to be in your right mind. Right. Um, your mind is what your brain does. And so the brain has all these physical functions. It's no more spiritual than any other part of your body. Right. Um, but it is... Um, it, 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 so it's like being on meth, you know, or right. 
being jacked up on drugs, you're just not going to be yourself. So I would have that happen to me sometimes. And sometimes you live that way for days. Sometimes it was weeks. And then I would have periods where I required a lot of sleep, didn't have enough energy. I could go lock myself up in a hotel room and I could do more work than my entire staff of 50 some people in, um, you know, three days, right. I could do what it would take them three months to do. Right. And, um, but then when I came home after that, I would have to sleep and I was crabby and, you know, but I had never really had any serious depression until this all happened. No kidding. And, and then I was suicidal. And my mother-in-law had bipolar disorder also. And about a couple of years before this happened with me, um, she had died by suicide because she wow. wouldn't take her medicine. Oh, so my wife and I are kind of experts at this. And my father okay. had it. And um, it's in it's genetic. It's just wow. like diabetes would run in a family or heart disease oh, or yeah. anything else. And you don't just because a parent has it doesn't mean that you'll have it for sure. But if the perfect storm comes together, um, it can it can kind of let loose. And right. um, it didn't help that when I was in my 20s, um, we were having trying to have children and I had a low sperm count and there was thinking back then um, that if you gave somebody such as myself uh, cortisone and, um, oh, what I'm trying to think of the, uh, not just cortisone, but the- Testosterone? Uh, no. no. Not, um, it's all that same stuff okay. with cortisone. Right. Uh, but, you know, um, if- um, the reality is it's that's a mood destabilizer and right. they gave me rounds and rounds and rounds of that we now know that the people lifting weights you know that are yeah. doing it to bulk up that sometimes they die of suicide during that time oh, okay it's because yeah it, it actually causes you to yeah, have steroids yeah steroids, steroids there you as go. well yeah exactly steroids. okay um, and so, um, don't mind me. It's late at night and I'm an old man. I can't think of words <laughs> during the daytime, much less this time of night. That's, uh, well, um, I figured between the two of us, we'll come up with at least one <laughs> word. So we're good. Um, so anyway, bottom line is, is what happened, but here's, here's the fascinating part of the story. Here's, here's God's hand in all of this. Um, first of all, after I was diagnosed, my wife looked at me and she said, I know this isn't you. And I know from my experience with my mom that you've got to do what you got to do to get better, that this is a physiological issue, but you got to do what you got to do. And she looked at me and she said, I'm not going anywhere as long as you do everything that you need to do in order to stay as well as you possibly can. I don't care uh, if you get sick again, but if you're not doing what you need to do and you're sick, then I'm going to be mad at you. And right. then, and if you don't do what you need to do, I'm not going to stick around because I can't do this. Um, so anyway, for seven years, 
I moaned and begroaned and tried to step back onto the plate and, and work, right? Um, what happened was after I resigned from that church, a group of people from that church and some key leaders, and most of them were medical, said to us, to our family, we're going to start a church. You don't have to do anything with it, but we'd like you to we'd like to call you and ask you to be our pastor. We believe that you need a safe place of grace and mercy where you can get better and be restored to dignity and, you know, health and all that. Right. And at the end of that, we'd like you to be our pastor. But if you believe that you're not supposed to be at the end of it, then we will have done what we were supposed to do. Wow. And with that, they gave me a 20% pay raise, and I did nothing other than focus on getting better for the better part of two years. That's what the church is supposed to do, dude. Right, yeah, awesome. seriously. Yeah. That's, uh, and that's if huge. it had not been for them and my wife, I know that today I would not be alive. Wow. I would have done myself in the first opportunity that I had. Was this, it? Did you say the denomination, or did you say the? I mean, it was a local church that did that. No, it was a group of people from the church that I was forced. Oh, from to your church. Okay, my bad. And I'm the, sorry. And the denomination did not remove me. I I, I uh, want to be clear about that. They did not remove me from their roster, but if I wouldn't resign from that church, they would have removed. And they would have done right, exactly. So, okay. um, but I chose to leave the denomination. And this group of people did not want to be part of the denomination. Okay. Um, and um, I'm telling you what, I was treated so well by those people and loved so well. Wow. And um, that seven, so two years later, then I started pastoring slowly. And it was mm -hmm. tough because some of the medicines I took, I joke now that it was like a game show because- uh, they had me on a medicine to stabilize my mood, and I it made me forget words. So when mm. I was preaching, you know how you used to have the outline of the 90s, you know, right. and people would yeah. guess what the word was, or they'd wait for <laughs> you to say it or whatever. Well, we didn't have to have yeah. the outline. It would just be Brad couldn't recall a word. And then right. I'd go, what's that word? What's that word? And people would start shouting it out, and I'd have to go, nope, nope, that's not. Oh, that's it. Ten points. That's fine. <laughs> and when they would come up for communion, you you know, I'd have to give them the little communion cups with the wine in because I'm right. and we have wine. Right. And um, I'm switching. But, <laughs> but I, my thumb would had had a tremor that sometimes it would just start going like that, and the wine would go flying out. So I, since then, have always given the bread out of which you can pick up off the floor. Um, right. But um, and they loved me well. And then my nephew was injured in a bus crash seven years into it. And we were moving the church because it had grown. Wow. And I didn't realize all that trauma was still there for me. And between my nephew um, almost dying in this bus crash and people that he loved did die in it. And my sister's only two sons were on the same bus. And I only have a sister. Right. And two nephews. And um, mm -hmm. little did I know that I could push past my medicine 
Well, when I pushed past my medicine, I got it goofed up one night and I accidentally took it twice. And so I thought I could just not take it the next night. And lo and behold, um, the next night when I um, needed to take it, I didn't. And I was back up into mania then. Right. Um, I relapsed. I ended up in the news again. This time it was for disturbing the peace. And um, but of course, the news people had to rehash everything. Right. And um, at that point, then uh, we lost our house and we had to go through a, a lot of more breaking, you know. Oh, man. But the church stayed intact. And thank goodness for an older pastor that was retired at the time he just walked them through that and sooner or later i picked back up and got better you know and um when i take my medicine i'm well equipped for ministry <laughs> if right. i don't take my medicine i could have a jail and prison ministry <laughs> <laughs> from the inside out yeah exactly. Well, and the interesting <laughs> thing is is today i do teach in the local county jail every week and I go in and I talk about mental health and emotional health. And I've written a curriculum for them that they're starting to use in other programs. That's models. awesome. And, uh, but I always joke that I'm fine at going as long as they let me out. <laughs> and I had one of the chaplains there. Uh, she asked me one time, how are you doing? And I said, well, I haven't been in the news lately. I'm doing right. well. Wow. Um, awesome. So anyway, after that, relapse then that's when I decided to attend some support group meetings because I didn't know how to I, I needed to figure out how to live right and I didn't know enough about my own disease and so I started um, going to some support groups and they just made me sicker mm -hmm. uh, you were talking about hope and the pandemic and all of that right um, the I was in some meetings in Washington, D.C. back when uh, the Republicans were in office not long ago, and um, they brought together nine of us that work in this area of faith and mental health. And um, the head people of HHS and SAMHSA were saying, we know there's a hopelessness crisis out there, and wow. we can't do this without the church even if everybody that needed to go see a therapist or a doctor went there's not enough doctors and therapists and we know the faith community is needed and so they were asking us about what we do how we can help how you know now that was prior to the pandemic okay and they knew that there was a horrible crisis then of Jeez. hopelessness in our country can you imagine what it is today Oh, yeah. no. Well, that's that's my fear is, you know, I, I think this the the the, um, the result of the shutdown for that year and the 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 aftermath of the arguing and the division and the politics and the fear and all of that kind of stuff is going to ripple out to, I would say, probably five, 10 years. Yeah, it's a tsunami. Yeah, it hasn't hit yet. Okay. All right. Well, so we've got the ripple effect going on. We're waiting yeah. for the tsunami to hit. And that's, but that's what instance, I see. Yeah. That's what I see even with our young people, oh, um, even yeah. at our church, you know, uh, and, and parents are just, they, they don't even know what direction to go to, you know, because well, we, and this massive teenagers, teenagers really suffered because, uh, 
you know, you and I have never been through a pandemic either, but mm -hmm. we had had enough knocks in life to be somewhat resilient, even right. though we may not be completely like we were, we have some resiliency. Right. When teenagers are at the prime of getting to start living, right. and starting to get away from mom and dad, and now I'm stuck at home, and they don't have enough resiliency. That's, do you, um, the, and I don't know the statistics off the top of my head, but I can tell you that there has been a spike in um, teenage girls, especially, um, yeah. attempting suicide, a spike. Yeah. I mean, you know, yeah. we think it's terrible if it's three or 4% a year that the suicide right. rates go up. This is the, the attempts are just off the chart. I think, uh, I don't have the statistics in front of me. I can probably look them up for you while you guys are chatting about it. But, uh, Gladwell talks about this in tipping point, um, about suicide and, and how, it can start to trend, which is terrifying. Oh, absolutely. So, you know, if you start seeing it on the news and, and start. It's it, catching. It, yeah, it catches on. And then other teens want to replicate. Um, it, it's very, very terrifying. This is on yeah. the CBC right now. It's 24% for females. For yeah, teenagers. It's, this it's 20, is just, yeah. It's just. And then I let can tell you this, that um, alcoholism, drug abuse. Everything's um, up. Yeah. I was on a call with um uh and I can attend all the White House meetings that they have on the still yet today, but the um back when the pandemic had it was going, it had just started. Right. Um, President Trump was on a call with some of us and he told us that the calls to the internet or to the national hot um mental health. Uh, right suicide suicide uh, line yeah had gone up by 800 percent wow i mean wow. so and we know for instance clergy are not doing well no, there's exactly. some reports that at least 48 percent of them would quit today if they could right because there's such a fatigue mm -hmm. there's well, people are part of it out. is you know and this is just me speculating but and it's just speaking from personal experience part of it is we, especially if you're in ministry, you are, you feel like you're so capable. You're not going to start asking for help until it's, you know, you're deep in it. Um, yeah. you're, you're, you know, I, you know, I help people through stuff like this all the time. I'm fine. I'm a little stressed out. Maybe, you know, I'll just mm. pray a little bit more, sleep a little bit more, get a little exercise. I'm going to work myself through it. Mm. And that's why I think like you had mentioned, we haven't really seen the wave uh, that we are going to see because it's mm -hmm. people um, in all walks of life, not just ministry, who have been self-regulating and saying, I can handle this. It's just a little stress. You know, it's a little stress from the pandemic. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, money's a little tight with inflation. And yeah, people are getting laid off, but I'm not going to lose my job. And and all the above, I, I probably agree with you. It's mm -hmm. it's going to come in hot here in the next couple of years. Yeah. So, and, the problem, and the problem with, pa you know, pastoring is that there's really no place for pastors to go. You know, like what you, you know, like you're talking about, you know, you have, you have this uh, above reproach mentality and for you to go to someone and say, man, I'm struggling or I'm mentally 
something's wrong or I don't feel right. Um, I had that, I had this kind of the same thing after my wife went through cancer in 2015. And I've told the story before, but I'll let you, you haven't heard it. Um, I had been a caregiver for a whole year. I had four young kids and, um, you know, I'm, I'm a full-time pastor. I owned a company at the time. So I'm, I was running a company, uh, pastor, pastoring, you know, as much as I could full-time preparing sermons, making sure the kids got to school. So I did that for a whole year, making sure my wife was okay. You know, she had surgery. She looked like a Holocaust victim, you know, by the time she got done with all the chemo and all that kind of stuff. Well, at the end of 2015, she was healed. Um, by first quarter 2016, she started, you know, getting her strength back and she started running the household again. And it was like, all of a sudden I didn't have a place in the home, you know, where the whole year I'd been, you know, just balls to the wall, just doing everything I could. And I'll never forget the day I woke up and I stood on, or I sat on the side of my bed. And if I look off the side of my bed, uh, there's a hallway that goes into the bathroom and it's, uh, we have a walkout basement. So it's a two-story house with the basement. So it's a three-story drop from my bathroom. And, uh, there's this plate glass window right there and something in my head said, run and jump. And I was like, well, whatever. So I got a shower, got ready, went downstairs, started doing my devotion, got my coffee. You know, I'm, I'm reading my Bible and I'm on the second floor now. And in my kitchen window, I can overlook the, I see the deck. Well, I've got this pergola over the top of that and something in my head said, go hang yourself. And, uh, I was like, whatever, get, get just get moving. And so I get my car later on that afternoon or whatever, and something in my head said swerve, you know, in front of a semi or hit the bridge or, you know, just something like that. And it literally there was like Groundhog's Day for the next six, eight weeks. I would wake up, run and jump. I'd go downstairs, do my devotion, go hang yourself you know, in the car, you know, swerve and, you know, kill yourself. Well, finally, I had this massive job that I was getting. It was actually through the uh, U.S. Um, Marines, and it was going to be in North Carolina and. I was supposed to go check this job out and they were going to give me the purchase order and it was going to take care of me for a long time and blah, blah, blah. And I got off the phone with the general on the base and he said, uh, he said, I, or I got on the phone. He said, I need you to hear, I'll give you the purchase order. Once I put eyeballs on you, you know, I don't like doing this stuff over the internet and over the phone and all this kind of stuff. And it's like, okay, great. You know, I hung up the phone and at that, as soon as I hung up the phone, I thought I know exactly where I'm going to do it. Like I'll be in a hotel in North Carolina. Who cares if a maid finds me? Uh, I didn't want my kids to find me. Didn't want my wife to find me. And that broke me at that point in time. And um, I canceled the trip. I lost the job. I went and got help. Um, and I told my wife, I, then I, I had to tell my church, you know, and it was kind of one of those things that my elders never saw it. You know, they never they didn't see the stress because I, I could hide it really easy um, and all of those kind of things. And I think that's probably, you know, especially for men in general, is that we have this thing called pride that we don't want anybody to know. And um, there's just not a lot of places to go. And so and the, and the lie that we tell ourselves. Right. Is that I can handle this. Right. That that I can fight it. I can say whatever. Mm -hmm. I can ignore it. I can. Yeah, and I was thinking, man, I, I've got I a minute. Do. I've got a ministry called man up, you know, like you just, just buck up, dude. Suck yeah. it up. Like, yeah. Like you and, did earlier. yeah. Yeah. And the, the truth is that um, stress has a lot to do with our mental health. 
how we handle stress, what we do with it. And um, most people are burning the candle at too many ends and the middle. And, and they aren't caring for themselves and resting. Um, I'm sorry to tell you, but I'm, I'm going to hit you heavy here, Jody. Okay. Uh, you were talking at the beginning of the podcast uh, tonight that you, you know, been working uh, this building house and all that, right. you know, mm-hmm. when you take a sabbatical and Mondays were your Mondays. If right. you're doing a podcast for how many hours on Monday night? Oh, you just busted me. Monday doesn't <laughs> count. So I almost busted him. I almost busted, busted him. And the only reason I didn't, because traditional Sabbath is from sun up to sundown. And technically, once the sun goes down, we can start working again. I know. So that's the only yeah. reason I didn't bust you. I thought it, though. As long as you're shutting down no, Sunday that- night. When that's Sunday good. night happens, that's your Sabbath. Then uh, Monday night is back home, baby. Well, you part know, of, I part of the man up. Te- I was gonna say part of the man up teaching is you know learning to have those spiritual disciplines of learning to read your Bible, pray, repentant lifestyle, fasting, um, and honoring the Sabbath. You know, honoring a mm-hmm. Sabbath, not the Sabbath. Well, um, and I went to a pastor's retreat. Um, this was back when Bill Hybels wasn't Bill Hybels yet. And okay. um, uh, uh, I told Rick Warren when I saw him a couple of years ago, I knew you before you were Rick Warren. And <laughs> I, I peed next to you at a urinal in Palm Springs, California at a retreat. And um, but anyway, um, the thing is, is that one of the doctors there, I forget his name, but he talked about that pastors should never ever take mondays off never they should always work and make the church pay for that day because you have post-adrenaline blues and that's the day of the week that most pastors quit so he said just go in and be mindless sit there aimlessly (laughs) clean it off answer a few this put papers in order but make them pay for it so Take the day of the week off that you are the most rested. Yeah, the and only said, problem with that is the assumption is they're not mindless 100% of the time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah. Okay. It, but I mean, most people don't understand what pastors go through on a Monday. Mm. Like there's this. So sure. you start literally Monday thinking about Sunday ser- sermon and then Tuesday, Wednesday, you're researching what. Thursday, Friday, you're writing Saturday, you're, you know, formulating and Sunday, it's like the Super Bowl. And all of a sudden you just, you've got, you, you've, you've got this up, you're high, you're ready to go. And then by three or four o'clock Sunday, it's like, oh my gosh, I just, I lost it all. Like I, it's this depression that kicks in. Yeah. And you have a bit of preacher's remorse is what I call it on Sunday afternoon. You say, oh boy, I said that. Right. I can't yeah. believe I said that in a sermon. Oh boy, I should have so and so that's gonna offend so and so and that's gonna hurt the giving or that's gonna yeah, you know. right. Now well, one of the things I will say is that through the pandemic and everything, there's been a couple of things we've done to help people process the trauma of the pandemic because trauma okay. understanding the trauma of it is a major big thought thing, and so we um, have like a free Bible study, a four-week Bible study that groups can download. It doesn't cost anything. We're happy to give it away, but it's on processing the pandemic together. 
Mm, and true. trauma can hold people and be problematic if they don't talk. They, and men are horrible. We are horrible at processing right. our emotions and feelings. We just hold it in. We don't talk. We go out shoulder to shoulder, talk about the game, talk about the weather. When women go out for lunch, they face each other and talk, you know, and I'm so upset or I'm this or I'm that, you know, and they're processing emotions, but men just, we just don't do it. And right. um, so that we have that study, but we also have a thing for pastors and their spouses that we just have started. And it's called healing the heart wounds of ministry. Mm. And it just teaches and not teaches. We don't teach pastors anything new. Right. We give them the opportunity and the space to actually experience um, how to process emotional pain Right. And emotional wounds that happen in ministry happen because we're working too hard. We don't have our priorities set straight or whatever. And for the spouse. Mm, that's good. That's so, really good. So let's go back to your, your diagnosis, your relapse, your, you finally went to a few groups. You realized those groups weren't working. Uh, matter of fact, they were making you worse. Where what, what did you go and what did you do from there? Well, I'm a good German Lutheran. I complained to the doctor every time I saw him. <laughs> <laughs> and how um, nothing that what I needed didn't exist, you know, and yeah. what I wanted was a hope-filled, faith-filled group of people that held each other accountable, might say poo-poo spelled differently, but could right. also say the Lord and pray for each other and be spirit-filled. Right. I wanted that. Right. And I knew that's what I needed. And one day he looked at me and he goes, Brad, start it. Start that group. And if you need some help or need the assurance of that you're on the right track, I'll give it to you. Right. Mm. okay well he got i think he got tired of hearing me complain and um so i did and i started the group and i thought for sure i thought for absolutely i was certain that i would start the group we'd have people there the first night and when they realized who i was and what my story was they would quit coming wow and that isn't what happened mm. They said, if if a church can show up you that kind of grace and you're doing this, I need this. And wow. what happened was bit by bit, churches across the country were looking for something that was faith-based. You know, there was celebrate right. recovery for the um, you know, hurts, habits, and hang-ups, but mental illness is not a hurt, habit, or hang-up. Right. And it's not a choice. It's not, you know, I didn't choose to go wackadoo. You know? <laughs> I, and by the way, I'm the only one who can use that word. Unless you have a diagnosis, then you can call me wackadoo. <laughs> you, it's just like a lot of those other words out there. Yeah, exactly. You, yes. know? Um, you can't use the C word. I um, stopped using the C word was uh, a thing that was just a op-ed that I wrote that was written. And my son was like, dad do you realize how provocative that title is and i go uh-huh uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but 
it's the crazy c yeah. word yeah i got i got that i was gonna really say that i used to call my wife that i don't do that anymore so uh, yeah no <laughs> um yeah you but the bottom line is is that um once that started i finally we to me, I had been trained at the seminary quite extensively in how to um, help people with alcoholism. And to me, there's a lot of similarities. Like once I started getting better and they put me on the medicine to stabilize my mood, I kept looking at my wife and saying, is this how normal people feel? This is boring. Right. This is boring. This isn't. Right there's nothing exciting about life and she said yeah get used to it now you're going to be an adult <laughs> and i'm like oh shoot mm -hmm. um but, you know um so we had tenants we have recovery principles and um instead of separating the people who love people who have a mental illness and the people with the mental illness we keep them together because they can okay. learn a lot from each other. And right. the stuff a wife can hear another husband say, and it's not her husband, and she actually hears what he's saying. And, you know, it. so the cross-pollination. Well, we've since moved from having a book and that to having, I think we have over 110, 120 groups in the United States. We have groups in um, for people from 19 different countries. We were using Zoom before the pandemic, certainly had to use it since the pandemic. Right. Um, we're everything that we do is in Spanish and English. And also now um, Japan is starting Fresh Hope. And so it's being translated in Japanese and into Hong Kong is doing it. So it's Chinese and then three languages from India. It's being translated. Praise into God. That is awesome. It's also in French. Now, I'm going to tell you, I have never, ever been above reproach. If anybody saw 20 seconds of my life, any choice 20 seconds, I can tell you. But by God's grace, he took everything that was broken and painful in my life, and it became liquid gold. I, I found out that actually being honest about my worst parts of my life is where right. the Lord brings healing to other people. It becomes, I, I tell the guys in jail, I always say to them, yeah, I saw you on the news and yeah, I saw you on the news, but let me tell you, I've been on the news more than all of you put right. together, you know, and <laughs> it was for, <laughs> And You're then right. they lean in, and it's like I all of a sudden, all of a sudden, I have street cred with them. Right, exactly. You know, and if I can go through that, they know there's hope for them. Right, that's great. And there's nothing in the mental health field today. What's happening is peers are really good at helping other peers. Those with right. lived experience, there's nothing like it. Um, you know, there's nothing like somebody that's been through it to be able to look you square in the eye and say, you can do this. Right. I'm going to walk with you. Uh, now, a doctor is needed and many times medicine is needed. A therapist may be needed. And all of those things are good, but that's not enough. Because right. Between those doctor's appointments or the 
the appointments that you have with your counselor, there's a lot of life. How do you live it? How do you learn how to live it? And how do you do it practically? And right. so we bridge that gap between those times and we walk with people. So we help churches start Fresh Hope support groups. Um, we have teen groups now. We have some groups that are just for women. We are starting some groups that are just for men because my experience with the groups with men and women in them sometimes the men don't get a chance to talk and, um, they, or they, they don't, they don't feel words. comfortable yeah sometimes sometimes i mean guys just need to talk to each other the way that guys talk to each other yep, yep. and uh, that doesn't always uh work with uh, uh having women in in the group not saying that exactly there's not a lot that can be learned from both sides right. but Sometimes in order to flesh some of that stuff out, you need that. Mm -hmm. So and we so have some groups that are for when a husband and wife, when one of the two of them has a mental health diagnosis that focuses on the marriage and mental health issues. And, uh, and we also now have this for pastors okay. and, um, we've grown also into having, um, uh, refocusing widows, um, which is seems like not a mental health issue, but it is because it is, right. and the same will be for we'll have it for widowers. Plus, wow. we do trauma healing groups. So through the American Bible Institute, um, the, um, the trauma healing Institute of the AIB, um, and um, we help people through trauma healing and we do that in prisons and we do it in jails and we do it in churches. And then the last thing that we have been doing now that's new since the pandemic is a thing called hope coaching. Because right. believe it or not, there's actually 25 years of clinical research on how hope works mm. and what hopelessness is and what causes hopelessness. <laughs> and when, what, when, like I told them in Washington, D.C., we take that clinical research and then we infuse it with faith. And when you infuse Christ into that kind of hope, now you, you've gone beyond hopeful thinking. You've right. got sure and certain hope. Right. So God can take everything we go through and make it work together for his good. Praise and, God. And I'm living proof of that. Amen. And so so take me, take me through. So each group is really based on, um, is it mental issues or emotional issues? Is it anxiety? Is it is each it... group, it, any kind of mental health diagnosis, uh, the main groups, the fresh hope for mental health groups, right? Now, um, what I do in the jail is a little different. That's both meant, it could be because you've got a diagnosis. It could be because you have addictions. It could right. be because you've been incarcerated. But I can tell you this, everybody has emotional issues. Right, exactly. Everybody does. Right. And so a lot of what we cover in that is emotional health and emotional regulation and he, uh, what trauma does that stunts your emotional development. But we also cover that kind of stuff in our Fresh Hope groups. Okay. Um, but we also, in the Fresh Hope groups, you have an expertise there of people who have a diagnosis 
they've gone through the trying to find the right medicines. They've got, there's some expertise that uh, you wouldn't have, like if we were only talking about emotional issues, but okay. we talk about all those things. You know, a lot of men don't realize that they don't really have, they might have a high IQ, but they don't have a very good EQ. Right. And it's not very high. And so they're not able to regulate their emotions. And especially once they get mad, it all goes out the window, you know. That uh that that that's a issue for most men. You know, it's like learning to and one of the things that we try to do here at Man Up, uh, God's way is to to get guys uh in the word of God, be full of the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Like if you're doing some of the spiritual disciplines, not saying that the world's not going to kick you in the knees every now and then, but um, if you're doing those and you're learning the word of God and you're praying and you're having a repentant life and you're fellowship and you're discipling and being discipled, uh, holding those things accountable, um, men are 10 times better than they are by not doing those things. And so I can see how these groups would work. So walk me through, let's say, um, well, I am a pastor. So let's say I have issues at my church that um, maybe I haven't identified somebody to lead this group right now, but maybe there's two or three people that I know that are bipolar or um, that have, you know, some kind of schizophrenia or you know, uh, you know, they're on medications, they're on something to, to control one of one or all of the above. What would I do as a pastor uh, through Fresh Hope? Okay. Two things that you said, may I just speak into? Heck yes. One, you don't know anybody that is bipolar. Okay. You only know people who have bipolar disorder. All right, man. Okay. They cannot become their diagnosis. Got it. That's one of the stigma busters that we got to do is tell got people it. I have bipolar disorder, but there's sure a heck of a lot more to me than just that. Okay. Um, got it. That's but, good. but secondly, um, none of the medicines for the most part that are given ever control anybody. Um, they, they hopefully help the brain function better um, and make the right chemicals, and then the person can control themselves better, you know. Right. And um, so, what would happen is you could contact us okay. and say, We'd like to start a fresh hope group at our church. And great. And we'd introduce you to Sam, Samantha. She lives in El Salvador. She's a, 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 a pastor, a, um, Assemblies of God pastor that. Um, was diagnosed of having bipolar disorder and prayed to the Lord one day. She was not doing well. And she said, I just want to meet one pastor who's living well with this Lord, just one pastor. And um, she was introduced to Fresh Hope a day or two later, went wow. to a group we never met or any of that for quite some time. And anyway, she runs our operations. So you're starting a new group. They're, the training uh, once the right people are identified as facilitators. We prefer to tra train two or three people okay. and we train them. It's all online. Um, we certify them and then we, they are with us for as long as you have that group and they're facilitating. Now, they do they, do they, do your trainers need a diagnosis? 
um, we prefer that at least one of the facilitators has okay. a diagnosis. And we also prefer that the people who are facilitating with them have some kind of lived experience. Maybe okay. they grew up in a home with a mom or a dad, or they have a sibling, or maybe they have an adult child or, or a child or whatever. Okay. Um, and if they are a clinician, we don't mind clinicians doing it, but they have to approach it as a peer, not a clinician. Got it. And, um, you know, the reality is the code of ethics for a therapist is that they cannot, they're not supposed to discuss their personal right. issues with you. Well, that's part of what the problem is. Um, when people know that this guy talking to me has been through this, all they have to know is my story. And right. pretty much everything I say to them is going to hold some weight. You it's know? like a, it's like a Catholic priest trying to give marriage advice. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah exactly. Okay. So, right. um, but now with our hope coaching, that's different. That's yeah. just to help people in any situation. So anybody that wanted to have, and by the way, we have churches that are uh, training everybody that is a small group leader, all their men's leaders, all their women leaders, all their uh, Sunday school teachers, everybody's being taught how to do hope coaching, because all hope coaching is, is a very simple way of dialoguing with people who are in difficult circumstances and may or already may have become hopeless. Wow. And, and what, how, what would that cost um, for somebody to go through that kind of training? <laughs> the truth is we give most of it away. Seriously? Yeah. Um, it's cow. more important to us that people have access. Now, um, we've in the, there are material costs. There's a, a, the cost for a book. There's technically supposed to be cost for um, going through the training. Maybe someday we'll actually charge for it, but right. it's more important for people to have that. And quite honestly, you don't, you don't run into somebody and go, Oh, you sound hopeless. Let me put my hope coaching right, exactly. cap on. And here's my card, by the way. <laughs> right. uh, it, it's more of if you're at the gym and you're talking to one of the guys in the locker room and he says his wife just found out she has breast cancer. Mm -hmm. um, you learn short, sweet questions to ask to help mm -hmm. people process their pain. Once you've heard their pain, Man. Maybe it's after a conversation or two with that person, then you ask one question or two that helps them see steps forward. Right. And um, once people see a step or two forward that they can go forward, they will not become hopeless. As long as hopelessness, very simply put by all the research of 25 years is this. It's as simple as this not seeing a way forward right yep and most men who die by suicide became hopeless it's more of a hopelessness issue than a mental illness or depression right. it is they don't see a way forward and financial things can look like there's no way forward only failure and Amen. um and men can easily do that, and they never talk about it. 
And people don't become suicidal by hearing about suicide. They become suicidal by internalizing it and keeping it inside like you were doing. You know, it it only gets worse. Somewhere you got to let it out. And when you start letting it out, it doesn't hold the power. Secrets keep us sick. Mm. And um, so, yeah. um, That's good. So the hope coaching is different than the, you know, what happens in our mental health support groups. But the one thing that I want to say is that a lot of people think mental illness is a scary thing. It's very interesting. In every place in this world where we have fresh hope, and that's 17 different countries, Kenya just started fresh hope. Right. And they have a group of pastors and um, therapists that are meeting and they've, they're going gung ho. I mean, <laughs> South Africa's had it for a while, um, right. you know, but all these places where there's not this dichotomy in, in the United States, we have a problem. We, we think the church deals with spiritual matters and let the mental health clinicians deal with mental health stuff. Mm. We are not experts in it. Therefore they, well, right. now, wait a minute. AA for years has understood the best person to help an alcoholic is another alcoholic. Alcoholic, Yeah, Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And so what we're finding in the mental health world is that the research shows that when a peer, somebody with lived experience helps somebody with lived or living the experience, when that happens, they get better and they get just as uh, they get it's just as effective as if it were talk therapy and there's no no profit for a cure. You know, that's the problem with the mental health industry is there's no profit for a cure. And so they're not, they're not real, you know, pharmaceutical companies want them to stay on all the drugs they can possibly get on. The clinicians want them to keep coming into the office. So there's a book I read. um, I don't have it by me tonight, but it's um, this doctor actually believes that what we think is depression and requires medicine in this country is actually not depression it's learned helplessness Mm. and um that it is medicine doesn't help that it it's going to be relationships do you know that they have better outcomes for schizophrenia in africa than we do in the united states and part of it is (laughs) Part of it wow. is because in the United States, our way of dealing with it is give them medicine. And when they become too much to handle, let them go live in, in a house with other people with schizophrenia. Mm. Let me ask you something. Do you have teenagers now? Or, I do, yes. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Do you care about who they hang around with? Heck yes. Yeah, because why? Yeah, because they influence them. Yeah, and they become like the people they hang out with, right? Right. Mental illness is catching to a certain degree. So when you put a whole bunch of people in a house together that are all schizophrenic or have schizophrenia, and I just did the schizophrenic. Yeah, there you go. I just did it. (laughs) Uh, But you put them all together, what are they going to learn? They're going to learn how to be sick. Oh, man. We have to... We have to, the church should be a place where people are assimilated. 
where right. where there it's normalized and that's what they do in africa well they say they say that you are the product of you know your yeah, five are. closest friends yeah. um and that's something like an entrepreneurial adjective that's been around for a while you know you hang around uh your five closest friends and that's who you're going to end up like and so why would that be any different from you know these people who are uh, struggling with these illnesses right it's it's the same and for instance what i find a lot of people don't like some of the things we teach within fresh hope for mental health because they've been part of the system a long time and um, so see, part of what happened to me when I went to some of those groups is the, the, the conversation was, how did you get on disability? What mm. medicines are you taking? Right. You know, and I was like, no, how do, how do you go to work every day and function? And how right. are you there for your kids? And how, you know, because you don't go to um, figure out how to be sick. You know, mm. you got to figure out how to live in spite of it. So that brought that brought something to my mind. I mean, you look at right now, you know, most industries can't even find employees, you know, especially the industry that used to be teenager driven, which was the restaurant business. They can't even find help anymore. Is is this something maybe that's going on in the world of teens and, pre, you know, teens and young adults that they are so they're you know, stressed in on their stretch and they're so emotionally fragile, but they're, they're trying to live off the system and, you know, everything's anxiety and everything's depression and everything like, mm -hmm. you know, is that what's keeping people from work? Cause yeah. I just don't know how they're, how they're, they're you like know, it's, and you just, you made a great point saying, well, how did you get on disability? And how did you find this? And how do you like, they're, you're the, capable. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, they're doing the sit They're They're, they're going through the system. Yeah. Right. Well, and, um, you know, there are times where people have to be on disability, no doubt about it. Uh, yeah, exactly. I'm not physical I'm, or, you know, right. mental health stuff, but more times than not, it's learned helplessness. And let me t explain right. to you what that means. For instance, if I go and I only do the medical side of mental health. So if I only do um, the doctor, the medicine, and a therapist, mm -hmm. those are people that know more than me. They know better how I should be, how right. I should think. Do you see what I'm saying? And yeah, if exactly. you get into that victim, I'm the victim of right. this disease. No, I'm over my own recovery. And if I don't like the psychiatrist and I don't like the medicine, I can get a second opinion, third opinion, and I'm the one in charge of me. You yeah, know, I know good. me and I need to be doing me. Um, yeah. uh, but this book that I read, uh, this doctor who uh, it's about um, pessimistic mindsets, that there are people with pessimistic mindsets and it can be changed. Right. And that you can learn to have a um, positive mindset, and it's quite complicated. It's a it's a really good read, but it's complicated. But here's the deal: they did this research on dogs in the '70s, which they can't do today because. Right. Dogs, <laughs> um, anyway, I'm not quite of that mindset, but I respect people who are. Um, but um, they they took three dogs and they put them in three black boxes 
and there were doors that swiveled to go into another box that was lit that had food in it right and the first dog they never shocked it and it would find that door and it would go get its lunch you know the second dog they'd shock it when it would touch that door but once it pushed through that door they wouldn't shock it again and it would eat its food right the third one they would shock every time it touched the door and it they kept shocking it once it would go into the second box by the second or third day, the dog just laid down in the box. Mm. And like, that's yeah. learned helplessness. Mm -hmm. And so instead of telling people, oh, just lay down, we'll take care of it for you. Right. We need to say no. Now, just a second. We're going to teach you how to be resilient. We're going to teach you how to have a different mindset. And, and uh, the very interesting thing about science and what we, you know, they're finding out a lot more about the brain and brain scans and all kinds of things. We're kind of in the dark ages with the brain because there's been so many other diseases that have taken so much time to overcome. And now we're kind of at the brain in the medical field. And the interesting thing is, for instance, science is now proving the Bible to be correct. Right. They, they can do uh, research on the brain and you can chemically change your brain by detoxing your thoughts and your thinking. Mm. Stinking thinking and ruminating cause more problems for people mental health-wise than a lot of other things. Exactly right. We yeah. came, I mean, we came up from a different generation too. Like, uh, I've had some, I've had some rough goes in my life. Uh, I've been homeless for a period of time. I've been down and out with no money. And luckily I, you know, I was involved in a, uh, a sport. I was involved in wrestling for a really long time. And I had some great coaches, mentors who built mental toughness in me. There's not a lot of that in the, you know, I hate, I'm turning into one of those old guys. Oh, that kids these days, you know, aren't resilient. But we're not allowed to. Uh, my brother is a wrestling coach and a PE teacher. And, you know, he'll he'll call and he'll limit to me on what he's allowed to do and what he's not allowed to do and, you know, what's okay, what's not okay. And yep. it, it almost makes the job of our uh, our teachers and um, our, our counselors in schools and our coaches, mm -hmm. it's very difficult to raise the same type of mental tough kids, um, yep. you know. Well, I, have you yeah, ever heard that? I, have you ever I, heard that saying that says hard times create strong men, strong men create good times, good times create weak men, and weak men create hard times? Yeah, and that's yes. kind of the cycle that we're going in. If you look at the baby boomers who came out of World War II, you know, balls of the wall, ready to conquer the world. Um, you know, hard times. Those hard times created strong men. There was some so really and the women back then were just as strong and mm -hmm. um and then strong men create good times and you know from the 40s late 50s to the you know uh, up until now really we haven't had major issues we've had a couple of uh you know uh financial issues but nothing other than the vietnam war and the afghan war and you know, little things like that, but nothing here in the United States. And then all of a sudden we, you know, these good times create weak men. 
yeah, yeah. Um, and weak children. And now we've got, you know, weak men are going to create hard times. I mean, we, we've got to get, you know, I'm 53 and, you know, that, that generation between 35 and 80 have got to do something a little bit different than what we've been doing. We've got to, we got to buck up and get ready for it. Well, it's interesting because I, I feel like I'm in that category or I'm in that group of as hard nosed as I am. I don't always feel like the strong man who's got it all figured out. You know, there are moments right. of, um, there are moments of mental weakness. There are moments of, you know, I want to give up. It's, it was interesting. I was hearing you talk about, you know, I've been pretty open on this show of struggling with suicide before. And, you know, some of my music, um, leads into that, but you had mentioned that, um, it's not, it's not depression. It's, uh, well, how did you phrase that? Because it, it struck me. We were talking about hopelessness, hopelessness, hopelessness. Yeah. Yep. And it's so when I, you didn't see a way forward. Yeah. So <clears> you <throat> can only see a way out. And it's maybe why our young people are shooting each other <laughs> and killing each other in our urban areas. They're hopeless. And I think right. it's, I think this is correlated. Um, I think that, and again, I, I think I'm the, on the other side of this. When things get so overwhelmingly tough, I fall out of my depression. I actually get fired up. Like right. when things get really, really bad, I have a direction. Like I know how, okay, I have a huge problem to fix. I, I got this. I know what to do. It's when things get easy. When money's in the bank, when things are going well, that's when I actually struggle with my depression. It's it's the opposite, and I think it might be a generational thing to where I think it's I, spiritual because it's even, it's more than a generational thing. It's spiritual because I see it in church when people have money and they're on vacations and they're going away. The next thing you know, they're they're falling away from church. They're not reading their Bibles. They're not you know, spending good quality time with God. And it's this cyclical effect that happens, you know, it's almost like uh, the Deuteronomic cycle that happened, you know, the Israelites, you know, oh, we're worshiping God, we love God, and here their nation is great. And the next thing you know, they start worshiping idols, and God makes them a slave, you know, and they just keep doing this over and over. And that's what we do, I believe, in our spirit. Well, we do that. There's a lie in, um, and I could get in trouble here with uh, uh, some some pastors, I suppose, but here's the lie that um, even modern day evangelicalism is teaching people. Right. That once you say that sinner's prayer, you don't need to worry about your sins anymore. Yeah, right. Well, I don't know about you guys, <laughs> but when I read the Bible, I see that Paul, the older he got, the more he was claiming to be the chief of all sinners. Mm -hmm. um, faith is not the we sin until we die. And so we've got to come to the Lord and confess to him on a daily basis and receive forgiveness and live out of forgiveness. Um, I don't remember what we were talking. Okay. So I'm, yeah, I always I, say, I always say that you, you, you'll, you'll never be sinless, but you will sin less, you know, as, as a, as a yeah. Christian. You know, well, why did why did Paul think that he was the chief of all sinners towards the end of his life? Right. I don't know if he was reminiscing or, you know, like I, yeah, but I, look, yeah. I look back on my life compared, you know, that when I first gave my life to the Lord in 2003, uh, what I was doing then was nothing like what I do now. Oh, and right. I, you know what I'm saying? I'm you know what I'm saying? saying that's, that's what I mean. Yeah. 
Yeah, I'm yeah. not saying that Paul was um, doing those same sitting, things. Yeah, exactly. I, I was not saying he was sitting even more. Right. What he realized was He's that one sin yeah. was right, exactly. too much. It was too much. One yeah, exactly. sin was already. And I think what what we do to ourselves in this society is somehow we've got this idea that there's this ideal I have to live up to. Right. And the reality is, is everybody is broken. Everybody is, has fallen short. There are, I am not better than a lot of other people. I'm better off if they don't know Jesus. That's it. Right. You know, and, um, but this whole mindset of, um, what were we talking about with the mindsets? Um, we were just talking about the the weak-minded kids, you know, and then them yeah. not having jobs and not getting into the, in, into uh, you know just into society in general um, because of this, uh, just because of the emotional. Um, well, we get into immaturity, yeah, right? The, the immaturity really easily, right? Um, I was part of, uh, and by the way. When Paul says, take captive your thinking, right. scientifically, we say detox your thinking, you know, right. be in control of what you think, and it'll change your mind, your your brain chemistry. Right. Well, it changes your heart chemistry, too. It changes exactly. yes. your whole, it, it, um, but have you ever seen that, um, who's the guy that used to play the psychiatrist on TV? Um, oh, Kelsey Grammer? No. Tom Frazier? Oh, oh, before that? Yeah, see, I'm just that much older than you that. Um, uh, oh, Bob Newhart? Yeah, Bob Newhart. Bob Newhart yeah. There's a skit. If you um, type in his name into YouTube and put Bob Newhart skit, stop it. Right. And yeah, the psychiatrist he charges by yeah. the minute or something. Yeah, that's And good. this just lady says, I want to do this and this and this. And he says, Well, stop, stop it. Stop it or I'll bury you in a box. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was her fear yeah, right? a barrier in a yeah. box she said I'm, no. I'm scared of being buried in a box he says, exactly well, Some of what we taught our kids was failure's good right in fact really none of us ever grows without pain and no, i think that's know. what um your um producer saying uh, i can't think of Fregosa. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you could tell it's even getting later now. <laughs> More words that are not coming to mind. But um, the the fact is that we are, um, we just don't, we think that we're not going to be broken and we're not going to, we shouldn't have as much pain or whatever. But every time you have pain, every time, see, you get up and go when times right. get tough, that tells me you have resiliency. Right. Um, it's, it's when the going gets tough and people can't go, that's something's wrong. I was part of the dark horse research that they did out of Harvard. You can check it out, just Google the website. And at one time I thought, did that doctor really call me? Was I really part of that research? <laughs> I, myself. Um, I didn't make the book because I think they were a little um, apprehensive about some of my answers in regards to faith and how that yeah, allowed me exactly. to, um, uh, uh, you know, to make it through resilient. But the bottom line is, is that when I went through everything, I found out what I was really made of. 
Right. If you would have told me I was going to go through it, I would have said, I'm going to fall apart. Mm-hmm. But yeah. some of our talk long uh, to ourselves about ourselves before we ever hit hard times has a lot to do with how we handle the hard times. Right. For instance, if you say things like, I could never handle that if that happened. Mm-hmm. Don't say that out loud. Yeah, yeah. You're giving the enemy ideas. Yeah. yeah. And secondly, you're already telling yourself you can't handle it. Yeah, I keep and telling God not to make me a missionary in Hawaii. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, so sometimes you just got to say, stop it. Right. Yeah. You know, Amen. that's be great. Strong. Uh, you know, and it's not the pull up your bootstraps kind of strong, strong. Be a man enough to say I'm having suicidal thinking. Yeah, right. I, I think part of part of the issue that people have with the pull it up by your bootstraps is because, you know, they're taking that as, Oh, see, it's not that bad. I think the, um, the realistic of, Hey, this is the situation I'm in. Like you said, Hey, this is what I'm dealing with. Um, I can either choose to succumb Mm -hmm. or I can step up to the plate and overcome it. And it, and it is a, it's a, it's a mindset. Um, no one got anywhere by having a victim mentality. Um, but that, I'm, I'm guilty of it. I've yep. had that before, but you have to overcome that and you have to look yourself in the, in the mirror and say, but, nope, but I'm going to do this. But there's times where we absolutely have to process our pain. Of and course. We, we need to, Christians are notorious at trying to sugarcoat pain. Jesus will get you through this. I'm praying for you. You know, God's got your back, you know, blah, blah, blah. Read the Psalms, folks. Read the Psalms. Those people were saying, God, why are you so good to my enemies? You know, and they were Jewish. They were not, you know, there's a, there's a, a Hebrew word for anger. And it means your large intestine hurts. Right. That's what it literally <laughs> means. Okay. Oh yeah, it's a spleen thing. What is yeah, that? Yeah. yeah. So you you the bottom line is is that um, the whole business of um, complaining to God and hurting and feeling your pain is important right. for processing it. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't minimize what you're going through, but it's then at that point, do I sit down and now say, this is so horrible, I can't move forward? Or do I do what is a godly lament? And that is, so God, only you can solve this. I cannot solve it. I will not tr- even try to solve it. But while you're solving it, God, I will trust you. I will praise you. I will focus on you. And now you've looped yourself out of the stinking thinking onto what you're going to do while the Lord takes care of the problem. Right. That's good. That's good. Well, brother, um, why don't you tell us a little bit, how, how, do, how does somebody get a hold of you guys? Just go on freshhope.us. If you want to email us, you can email me at pastorbrad at freshhope.us, or um, my assistant is maria at freshhope.us. We have a YouTube channel. We're on Facebook, you know, all the typical places. 
We have a lot of free resources. We have a podcast also called right. Fresh Hope for Mental Health. And I interview people that have gone through mental health issues as well as leaders and doctors and other folks um, in the mental health field. And um, yeah, I'd love Great. to hear from many of your listeners. I'm, I'm curious, no questions on your chat tonight or anything? Well, we had they they were running through a little bit, but I think a lot of a lot of uh, thumbs ups and uh, good jobs and great conversation, but no questions. So uh, we we guys. didn't make the a we, lot of amens. Yeah, yeah, we didn't make the point of saying ask a question. I completely forgot. So we I had uh, we had one. I thought maybe question. they'd want to know what I thought of Nebraska football. <laughs> <laughs> That's almost a hopeless situation anymore yeah. these days. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you're you're sounding like a lot of the teams out there nowadays. They're not hurting. They're a lot of them are hurting. The the big guys are just running all over everybody. So, yeah. but um, you know, I, I two things real quick before we let you go. Um, your groups, you know, people. I want you to you know understand that you could go to a group, get training to do that. You could also become a coach, um, and learn how to better uh. A, be equipped for some of the issues that might arise, especially if you're in a church. I mean, I would highly suggest that you do this. Matter of fact, I was signing up as we were talking, you and Fergoza were talking for a minute, and I was signing up to become, uh, get some info on the coach, because I think that would be good just as a pastor, just to have, I'm a, I'm a rub some dirt on it kind of guy, you know, like just, you gotta, I, I'll fix it for you, you know, don't worry about it. And that's not a good way either. So yeah, no, it's not. Yeah, no, it's it, and it it doesn't help, you know, somebody who's grieving or in some, you know, very emotional uh, situations. And so I need I'm I'm learning that uh, as I I've been pastoring now for 17 years and 18 years. And it's uh, I'm, you know, wisdom is catching up with me, which is good. So is age. And it helps me a lot, you know, compared to my earlier days. So. If yeah. someone, if so, go to the website if you want a group or to to understand. Now, what if if they want to attend a group online, because okay. you can find groups in local cities. Got it. Not every um, state has groups. Okay, uh, many do. But if you don't want to start one, or you just need to attend a group, um, you can go to a group um, online, and okay. um, if you love somebody who has a mental health issue, you can attend that group also. Right. Um, and they don't have to go together. You can go to different groups or you can come alone either with a diagnosis or you're the person who loves somebody. So last question is what, what does someone do? What, what would your suggestions be to someone who is dealing with mental illness? Maybe they haven't been diagnosed. Maybe they just, they're trying to drown it out with drugs or alcohol or um, uh, complacency or loneliness or hopelessness. Like you said, what's your suggestion for someone in that position? Talk to somebody that can help you figure out what it is. Mm -hmm. um, talk to a professional or talk to go to a support group and start trying to figure it out. Mental illness, if you have a mental illness, for instance, it's, it's a lot like, um, I'm going to really show my age, I'm going to be 65 in February, and I've had hearing aids for quite a few years, and all the men <laughs> in my dad's side of the family have hearing problems, and so somebody gave me 
$6,000 to buy hearing aids years ago. It was a gift. I bought them. I hardly wear them. <laughs> and hearing is a strange thing because you think it's a volume issue. It's not. It really is. I can usually hear. It's I can't understand what they're saying because I'm losing high pitches for the consonants and the T's and the C's. And the Z's. Oh, that's interesting. And um, so what what I've learned, though, is I, if I wear the hearing aids, my hearing gets better for a couple of days then and then I don't wear, you know, I don't wear them and then I'm okay. And then I have to put them in and okay. Bottom line is um, mental illness is a lot like that, as well as your eyes. If you don't wear your glasses, your eyes are going to get worse. Right. Like the glasses can slow the uh, impairment of the vision down, if not sometimes even reverse it. Right. So if you think there's something wrong with you, go sooner then later yeah. to a doctor. Um, medical doctors, the internists are not always the best people, but they can be the best place to start. start yeah. Um, and, um, but I want to tell you something. If you have something, let me ask you this. If you had um, cancer of the lung and you never smoked a day in your life, you know, and would you feel like you were a weak man because of that? No, uh -uh. no, of course not. No, uh -uh. same is true if it's with your brain. Mm, that's good. The same is true. That do you know that your brain is going to get buried with your body? Mm. <laughs> because it isn't going to go to heaven separate of the rest of your body. Right. It's just as I always say. Your brain is no more spiritual than your large intestine. We could go farther down that line. Right, exactly. Okay. <laughs> and, um, That's funny. Um, That's and uh, by the way, I wrote down on my um, list here uh, that there's one more thing I want to mention before Please we do. go. But go and talk to somebody. Because if you have an issue, be a man right. and face it. Amen. Face it. Don't pretend like it's not there. That's not being a man. That's being a wimp. And we men are kind of wimpy when it comes to discovering whether we have cancer or diabetes or whatever. We don't want to know. You know, now like you're, now you're meddling. Now you're meddling. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> uh, trust me, I'm meddling. Um, uh, you know, Did I. You the choir. <laughs> yeah. Well, I. Yeah. Um, I know gluttony is a sin that God hates, and I have never preached a sermon on that because that I'd be meddling in my own business. I, I, I get yeah. it. Uh, but um, isn't it interesting how I can pick the the other sins up that other people have? You know, well, that's always easy. Yeah. Oh yeah. But so, um, what, what's your last thing there on the list? Okay. Here's men have a ball problem. Okay. All right. Okay. Now, the ball problem is this. We think we, it, it, we have issues. Everybody's got issues. I don't care who you are. And I have the spiritual gift of triggering people. So if you think you have no issues or you don't have significant issues, come and let me live with you. Right. For 24 to 36 hours, and I'll trigger you most likely, and we'll know what your issues really are. Right. I, I'll I'll do some digging fast. Exactly. Okay. So what we think we need to do is 
I'm not a victim of this issue. I'm not this, and I will take this and push this, and I will take care of it by my sheer grit and will, right? Right. So it's like having an issue like alcoholism, for instance, or um, uh, emotional regulation or trauma or whatever. We think the issues is like a big, huge beach ball that's greased up with Crisco. And now we're out in the middle of the ocean and we're going to try to manhandle that thing and keep it under the water, right? Because we don't want that thing popping out and other people knowing our stuff. And some of us have multiple ones to keep under the water. And um, what happens is the minute the stress hits in life and the ocean swells up and the waves start hitting, the balls are going to pop out. They just are. And, right. but there is a way to receive healing and process those issues that it actually lets the air out of those balls. Mm. And it's not by sheer um, manly grit. Right. It is by being a man and big enough and, and, and secure enough to say, I need help with this. That's good. I I need to not be in a vacuum. I mm. I need the assistance of other men. I I need I need God. I need I need to own up to this because pain God does not want to waste your pain. Amen. <laughs> and he's he's good. He he redeems all things including the beach balls. Mm-hmm. Praise God, brother. That's awesome. a good word. That is a good word. Well, Pastor Brad, we're praying for your ministry. Um, Lord, what what an amazing just uh, vision that God has given you and a passion behind that. Uh, unfortunately, he took you to the belly of the whale uh, in order to get there. But I think what you're showing people is that that's kind of that's the protocol that people need to understand that you know what they're going through and uh, to be there as a peer and not somebody that's lording over them to an extent, even if you're not, a lot of times people just think that, you know, you, you think you're better than they are. And, and when you're sitting down the eyeball, the eyeball, man, it's, it's so much better when you can, can do those things. And so make sure folks that you go to freshhope.us in order to check out a group, to start a group, maybe even to become a coach, Uh, Make sure that you support this ministry. And more importantly, if you do feel like you have mental illness, suicidal thoughts, uh, please don't wait to talk to someone. Um, Even if it's just someone really quick tonight, uh, call them, uh, check in with them and just make sure that um, uh, that you you at least let them know that there's some issues, some problems. And then tomorrow, make sure you get on the phones and call a physician and we will be praying for you so pastor brad thank you so much brother there are no hopeless situations amen amen i love that i love that well we will uh see you soon and we'll talk uh talk some ministry here later on and again we'll be praying for your ministry and look forward to what god is doing for you so god bless brother thank you thank you You've been listening to the Man Up God's Way podcast. Visit us on Facebook, Spotify, Apple, iTunes, and our website at manupgodsway.org.